Good evening. This is Cinema Sixty. Raymond, it's Captain Pratt. When you didn't come back this morning, we figured you might need some help. I won't be coming back anymore. I'm not ready. I don't think you understand about the ceasefire order, son. We're supposed to stay back behind the lines now. It's the rules. The war's over. Which war? Hi, Jenna. Hi, Bart. Uh, welcome to Cinema Sixty. Oh, thank you. I don't think you've ever welcomed me to Cinema Sixty before. Or are you not talking to me? No, I'm talking to you because I oh. consider this my show. I see. And I'm the guest. And you're the guest. I was on a podcast like that after 100 episodes. I was still the <laughs> guest host. It's part of why that show doesn't exist anymore. No, we're equals We're equals here, which is why we're talking about the subject we are talking about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that is the weirdest lead-in. But, yep, we're talking about the Korean War. Yay. <laughs> The Forgotten War. I'm not a big fan of war movies, so I actually, it it, it may ha- actually have been me who was pushing to to actually do some war movies because we have neglected them. There there are certain genres: war movies, sports movies, neither of which I like very much, and we've kind of horror movies we we haven't done enough of on the show, um, and we're, we're trying to remedy that. So now we're we're going to talk about war. See, I love war movies. <laughs> I'm actually like really into it. That, that World War One was my my jam uh, in college. That was like pretty much my my major. But um, I like war movies because usually my favorite war movie. Let me put it this way: There's a lot of boring war movies. My favorite war movies are the ones that really like use the war to then examine the humanity and in, in involved. You know, like I'm I'm much more interested in the sort of people under pressure under a microscope in a horrendous situation than I am in like, and then we maneuvered the plane this way, you know, like that, which is, don't get me wrong. Also can be very interesting, but more so when I'm reading about it and less so in a, in a movie, unless they're really pulling out all the stops. But you know what I like about war movies? They always set up this ultimate evil that our heroes are fighting against, and they can kill as many of those other people as they want because they're bad people, and they're they're always up to no good, and they can just you know kill them kill them how you know willy nilly, and it, and they're brave heroes for doing that. Yeah, that's why that's why I love war movies. That's I, I mean you know that's kind of what is frustrating about action movies for me is that is exactly that war movies is um feels more justified (laughs) (laughs) it's all the same thing we want to we want to see violence on the screen and we want to feel justified in seeing people killed we don't want to we don't want to cheer when we feel conflicted about somebody dying in a gruesome way well you know one of the movies that inspired me to to choose this theme for us it it kind of addresses that exactly and so we're definitely going to talk about it but i think first we should just give a really basic understanding of what the korean war was why don't you talk about the korean war and then i'll get into the 
to Korean cinema a little bit, not not too much. It's actually there's not a whole lot to say about it because there's not a ton of information. There's not a lot written about it. But go go ahead. You you tell us how we got into this forgotten war. I was trying to think about the best way to boil down the Korean War, which I guess is just pretty much this was a domino theory situation. China came in for North Korea. South Korea got backed up by the you know allies in America. And then it sort of never you know ended. It was kind of like Vietnam before Vietnam happened in many ways because it was just one of these things where at the time everyone kind of dutifully joined in uh, for the effort and then later said, wait, why were we here? <laughs> what are we doing? Why did I die for this? Yeah, well, the body count on as far as Koreans go was incredibly high, but um, there weren't that many Americans who were killed, I guess. So that's why we sort of forget that it was such a such a violent, gruesome, horrible war because, uh, you know, our boys didn't didn't get killed in huge numbers. But it was it was bloody. It was but we don't hear about it because it wasn't us who who got killed so much. And Americans don't really, I mean, I, I think part of it, too, is that it was never officially declared a war. It ended with a negotiated draw. You know, I guess the other part is like it's there aren't as many Korean War movies as there are World War II movies or even World War I movies because I think, you know, there's no there's no black and white heroes and, and villains. I mean, they're, you know, obviously we always find a way. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we, we didn't really have an official American stamp victory, you know, like there wasn't it wasn't really like America rah, rah, rah situation. And, and so I think there there's certainly, you know, people don't really know what to do with that in Hollywood <laughs> if it's not if it's not so black and white. So but it was I mean, it feeds into our whole anti-communist thing. We're fighting against those those red Chinese. And, uh, you know, we we pushed him back above the that line and uh, took South Korea back for, uh, for capitalism, for the, you know, for the, to be a nice patriotic capitalist like us. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so it was a victory and it's easy to actually, after the end of the Korean war, there were a ton of uh, Korean war films in the fifties. I, I think the world war two film war films did not really slow down, but there were, you know, nearly as many Korean War films because it had just happened. <laughs> well, it just happened, and it was really clear who the enemy was. We hate communists, so we were over there fighting the communists, and it's as simple as that. They were the bad guys, so you know we're we're heroes for being over there fighting. And so it was. I mean, as as far as that goes, it was pretty black and white. You know, things got a lot messier with the the Vietnam War, especially when. The draft was uh, was sending a lot of our uh, of our boys over there who really didn't want to go. And uh, yeah, it was it was still I think it's not as much was known about that war. And it wasn't really clear, you know, what what awful things that the North Koreans and the Chinese were doing. But uh, it was still still was justified. But then, um, well, well, we'll get into it as we talk about these movies. We've got six films made in the 60s um, about the Korean War. We chose three American films and three South Korean films. You know, there were there were a fair number of them in the early 60s. A lot of them in the 50s. They started to 
peter out a little bit in the early 60s and then by 1965 they were gone there were you know it was no more the you know the the vietnam war draft maybe was you know was getting people upset about war in general but you know the the World War II movies never really slowed down at that point either. So it wasn't just a general anti-war feeling. Um, it was just. No, because World War II was just, it was clear cut, you know, like we never, we never really beat those pinkos. <laughs> yeah. I think the similarities between Korea and Vietnam were just uh, so, they were so similar in a lot of ways. It was us um, fighting the, the Northern people in a faraway country who were sided with the communists uh, alongside the uh, the people in the southern half you know you get it but it's uh yeah i think when things got complicated in the mid 60s the, the korean war movies just kind of stopped and that's that's where the movies we talk about stop um but there are it was really interesting to sort of compare american versions of the korean war side by side with with the uh, korean versions of the same thing yeah i i was really thrilled actually to to watch these korean movies because that i again i don't really know that much about korean cinema we dipped one toe in cinema 60 into a korean film but we we really it's another side of the world we haven't explored enough so so this was a good excuse yeah, we, we talked about that one movie, A Day Off, that came out in 1968, but that uh, actually, it came out sort of at the tail end of the, what is sometimes referred to actually as Korean cinema's golden age, which started kind of immediately after the truce um, between North and South Korea and the 70s. Like there's a whole 15 year period that's called the golden age, but Nobody, including South Koreans, really seemed to know very much about it, but they were it was an incredibly productive time. And there were a bunch of great movies coming out. Apparently, we don't have access to a lot of them, but it really the I mean, just in terms of so. So basically, when when the truce was signed, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 all at the end of World War Two when Japanese Japan left Korea, the U.S. was sort of in charge of the southern part of South Korea, of Korea, South Korea. And then when the truce was signed, the U.S. was still kind of in charge of of Korea. We put in this like puppet president, um, Re, President Re, and uh, he was, you know, he basically just did. He was corrupt and did whatever the Americans wanted. But it also meant that with the support of American dollars and uh, and a, a uh, you know, wanting to build up the Korean economy, the, uh, the the Korean film industry kind of boomed at that time. And even when um, Rhee was uh, was overthrown by dictator uh, Park, Park Chung-hee, there was still like the, the, the industry, the film industry was going strong and there was still this like desire for, for pro-Korean propaganda and just making... Korean culture uh, known in the world. And, and America was still supportive of Korea, even though there was this dictator that had sort of overthrown our, our puppet president there. Um, you know, there was still this sort of oversight by America. And, uh, you know, we, we um, there, there were a lot of films being made and um, apparently a lot of like great classics that, uh, you know, made, made some headway uh, you know, make got some notice worldwide, but 
are kind of forgotten now. The three films that we watched, only one of them, I think, got any attention outside of South Korea, and that's that's the last one we're going to talk about, and I'll, I'll mention some details about that then, but yeah, pretty much what we watched for this episode was Korean propaganda war films that were set during the Korean War. Aren't all war films yeah, propaganda I was, films? <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say that, that in a, in a certain way, they are all propaganda. Go fight, be brave, be a man, but uh, these are specifically, you know, nationalistic propaganda. But we're actually going to start with uh, with an American film from, from 1960. All the Young Men. Directed by Hal Bartlett, stars Sidney Poitier, Alan Ladd, Mort Saul is in this movie. <laughs> of all people. Which is pretty exciting. And he, he does like a, some stand-up bits. James Dar- James Darren gets to sing. Yes. As, sort of as a Swedish guy. Ingemar Johansson. Well, this movie, just, I guess also as a, as a Korean War fact, and, and another interesting thing about the Korean War is that... Um, it was the first desegregated army, American army, was the Korean War. The first real instance of it. Actually, Harry Truman signed a desegregation order in 48. And so this was the first time it actually pushed through and did it. And it was a nightmare for everybody, <laughs> of course, as, as it typically is um, when you're dealing with people that are openly racist and also are meant to be watching your back and saving your life and all the young men is a movie just about that uh funny enough which i i didn't wasn't expecting because i didn't look at what this was about i just watched it (laughs) well you know in 1960 when you have Sidney poitier leading a movie you know that it's going to have some uh some content some anti-racist content in retrospect yes this is 100 percent Exactly like every single thing that he did in the 60s. It is about a Marine unit in Korea, American, and they are looking to secure a farm, which is located in a strategic pass in the mountains. It's like it's like literally the only way through the mountains is to go through this farmhouse. So if they can get that thing located and secured, they're pretty much going to be real pain in the ass for the Chinese troops that are trying to get through. And uh, so they get ambushed, of course, before they reach it uh, by the Chinese troops on their way. And uh, the unit's officer dies before he does. He identifies Sergeant Eddie Towler, who's played by Poitier as the new commanding officer to the horror of all the white faces in this unit. So uh, with only a handful of men left in the unit, uh, they reach the farmhouse where in their quiet moments of waiting for the enemy to descend so that they can defend this uh, location and slow down the Chinese army, all of this drama starts to unravel. Specifically, uh, Sergeant Kincaid, who's played by Alan Ladd, 
he's like really the more experienced candidate and he's who everyone thought was going to get chosen as the next commanding officer. And so he is super uh, resentful of the fact that young Sidney Poitier is, is currently the commanding officer. And also he's racist as we learn later. And then there's also this private who's from the South private Bracken, who's played by Paul Richards. who's just like an out and out racist like he's willing to break rank just to tell like the black man to lick his boots or whatever. And then there's a family in this farmhouse who uh, get terrorized, of course, by all of these idle men. It is a, a, a woman who's meant to be half Korean, half French, but played by Anna Maria Lynch uh, in, you know, yellow face, <laughs> half yellow face. Yeah, half. Yes. And um and and then there's also a little child and a grandmother who our American army accidentally yeah, mows down injured. first thing. That's the first thing they do. Actually pretty interesting movie. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I was actually happy with this first movie. I mean, it's, it has all the tropes you expect. It sort of follows follows the formula but it's got some interesting co content and the the whole you know racism issue turns it into something a little more interesting and it's just this ideally this is what a you know low budget war movie should be it's not great but it it tackles you know punches punches above its weight a little bit and it's kind of interesting I mean, it feels very anti-war. It's definitely anti-conservative. And it's 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 weird because it's kind of, as you said, it hits all these normal beats. So it feels like it's shoved into the dead skin of one of the rah-rah war American movies. <laughs> like you keep thinking it's going to go back to God bless our troops, but, but it, it kind of continuously undercuts itself. And it's neat for that. Definitely doesn't, you know, you don't come away from this thinking that the troops are great. They're very explicit with their racism. They're, you know, creepy explicit. Uh, nobody actually wanted to take this lead role because it was just so racist, the Alan Ladd role. And he ended up taking it because he just believed in the script. Hmm. Yeah, I Alan Ladd is actually, I mean, he's he's definitely a, a bit, over the hill he doesn't seem like you know he seems a little out of shape to be a, a u.s soldier at this <laughs> at this stage in his life I'm, I'm not sure he was in the best health but he uh he does a good job and it's and you certainly you definitely understand that you know the reason why poitier was chosen over him to lead this troop is like poitier or T towler eddie towler is you know is a by the book guy like he does what's best for the u.s army whereas alan ladd is very interested or kincaid is very interested in the troops and will do what's best for the the boys but it might not be what's in the best interest for you know strategically or you know what you know he's not a by the books kind of guy so you know, it, it sort of walks that line where is he just upset because he wasn't chosen to lead the troop or is he really a racist or, you know, is it sort of a combination of the two? And it's he's he's a much more interesting character than the just awful racist guy who you yeah, know, shouts, total caricature. shouts slurs a towler and, you know, tries to to rape the the woman who in the home that they're that they're staying in and uh... yeah it's like it's, it's totally brutal with these characters i mean like they really don't hold back on just it's sydney poitier and, and a lot of pieces of shit you know it's <laughs> like like everyone's a prick besides except though, for mortsall 
Yeah, besides those two, they're all pretty decent fellas. I mean, you you like well, them they all. do a lot of they they do a lot of creeping on this family who who doesn't seem to be comfortable with anybody except for uh, Towler. I mean, you probably were wanted to talk about Mort Saul a bit, but it's hard not to not to mention that like the the movie just stops in a couple of spots for him to do yeah. his stand up comedy routine a little it's weird. bit. Like it's it's all it's all like army related stuff. It's him doing his his you know some army bits and it's also like he's clearly like he's got some kind of nickname like joker or something so you know he's he's the funny guy in the troupe yeah so so he entertains the other guys occasionally with uh, with a stand-up comedy and it's it feels a little weird it just the pacing of those scenes is is you know i mean it's it's actually a lot like when james darren stops the movie to sing a song you know it's a it's a break from everything else and it sort of stops the movie dead but it's also, you know, it's all right. It's sort of fun that it's there. No, I'm with you. It was weird. I, I <laughs> wasn't sure what to think, actually. It was sort of strange. I did appreciate, at least, like, usually when they have these sort of ensemble uh, military movies, is usually there's two characters that have personality and the rest of them are just, like, flat. And so fodder. they at least try to make, yeah, or, or cannon fodder. They give you a, a a little more of a personality to each of these guys. They all kind of get the spotlight on them for a bit. And it does kind of wreck the pacing. And I mean, you know, always as, as any movie, it's more fun to sort of watch these guys in the heat of the moment dealing with their, you know, issues while still trying to get something done. So like there is a scene in the beginning right after uh, Poitier gets chosen to lead where they have to climb down a guy falls down this this you know mountain pass they have to bring him back up but the whole thing is covered in landmines they sort of don't want Towler to come back but they're also not going to like let their buddy die you know and so it's the sort of watching them handle carefully as they have to follow orders from from someone they don't respect and of course he you know saves the day and then they even begrudgingly respect him and and still you know have toddler tantrums later on when anything comes up where it's like him giving orders again there's a great surgery scene a makeshift surgery scene which i thought was really mm -hmm. fun where it's also like you know i don't want blood from you know that guy like it's like it actually says i don't want black blood and you're like jesus christ <laughs> you'd rat you'd literally rather die okay like let him like you just want him to die at that point but anyhow but yeah no i mean like it i i got a kick out of this the pacing is weird but the the plot was good and again it felt it felt like it was interestingly anti-war it has this very like merry christmas i think like the when the saints come marching in starts playing and it's like rah rah america <laughs> like uh god bless racism almost ending but like up until that like final thing that just felt like a beat where the some producer was like you can't end on that low note like let's <laughs> Let's get the troops in there, you know, like it otherwise feels pretty intriguing. I'd never, never felt that this was anti-war at all. Like it oh, yeah. shows you the horrors of war for sure. I mean, I thought it was interesting because you think of war film as such a conservative genre and you've got this, you know, socially liberal person who wrote and directed and produced it, Hall Bartlett. And, and uh, so it's, it's got this, 
very liberal, you know, socially liberal aspect to it. But at the same time, it's also like these boys are, are so brave and, and doing such a good thing over there, fighting the, the commies, you know, fighting against all odds. And even though they're all dying, they're still fighting to their last breath. And yet nothing about it seemed particularly anti-war to me. That ending, which is, you know, I read some reviews and, and people thought that was kind of hilarious. And I thought it was all kind of in, in keeping with the, like, you know, the rah-rah support our troops message of the film. The thing I thought was sort of anti-war and I, gra- I granted this isn't going to be a movie that you watch and think, wow, what what a hippie, you know, like it, it's again, it, it is a total conformist of a film. I just think that there are certain tells here that let you know that this wasn't shot by a hyper conservative person who thinks that war is so glorious. And I think even by, by portraying war as not being glamorous, in 1960 is 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 enough for me to to say that it has some gleams of anti-war sentiment here the the stuff that i thought actually really was more of a tell was the dynamic death shots in the beginning there's that this we open on this like really wild battle it's just really focusing on the futility of everything they're all sort of shot from below they're not very heroic deaths they're they're kind of like people running in terror or dying in, in horrendous ways, uh, crawling over dead bodies and stuff. And so uh, to me, that just sort of was showcasing how just horrible it is until that ending where, where it really is just USA flag waving. Like none of the, the battle scenes in this are particularly glorious. And I think that's worth something that, it is a horrific opening scene. I mean, the the Chinese army is all super camouflaged and these guys just keep getting mowed down and they have no idea like who to fire back at. But I think that's how the formula works for these things. The it seems you know, you have to set up this hopeless situation and you've got a few guys who are up against, you know, this invincible army and that's you know, that's what's so exciting. That's what gets you your blood pumping and then thinking, yeah, our boys are great. Yeah, the, being a soldier is so awesome. And But uh, I didn't feel that way after the, I mean, or even that the, there's an amazing scene of, which is what inspires the surgery later on of a, of a tank being lit on fire. And then our, you know, one of our main characters falls off this tank and the tank runs over his leg as it's burst into flames. And it's an absolutely insane. You said low budget. This wasn't that low budget. I mean, they had tanks. They had like actual military gear here. Limited. I mean, but it's not nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing about that says glory. You know, they they, they kill all their enemies. But, you know, to what cost? I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't think any of any of these battle scenes were particularly glorious. As opposed to the, some of the Korean movies that we're we're going to talk about, which I think there there's there is a balance between showing like you know the the horrors of war, but the glory of heroism, and and I, you're, there's really no heroism in this movie other than Poitier. Only when and and because he's up against racists. Yeah, and like every Sidney Poitier movie, he has to prove that he's twice as good as any white man. He can't right. be as good as he has to be so much better than everybody else at his job and that's how he's able to get respect yeah and they still hate him (laughs) (laughs) next we watch the movie five marines from 1961 from south korea directed by kim ki duck
a completely different director than the more recent South Korean director, Kim Ki-duk. Uh, two guys by the same name, unrelated. Both were very prolific directors. The first Kim Ki-duk was, uh, was more of a, uh, you know, B-movie, you know, crank them out, sort of, you know, please the audience sort of director. Younguri is a, a Korean rubber monster, you know, kaiju Korean kaiju movie uh, that he's probably most famous for. But he, um, yeah, he directed this movie about, uh, well, five Marines. Well, actually six Marines, but... Uh, Seven? I feel like there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot more Marines than five. Yeah, well, it, 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 it comes down to five at the end. We have a sort of dirty dozen, uh, five, five men against the entire army sort of thing at the end. Um, yeah, so we've got the, you know, the two sort of comic relief soldiers who are the city boy and the country boy and and they both resent being called that by the other but they're they're best friends and then we've got the the sergeant who was transferred to that unit that's let his father is the commander and so there's a lot of there's a whole lot of you know there are a lot of daddy issues there he doesn't like his father because he thinks his father prefer you know favors his older brother and you know all these guys have their own like little stories and we get you know, we, we sort of see them interacting, uh, you know, as they're digging trenches and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, as, as we as we get to know them a little bit, we see a, a long flashback to their past story. One guy who's, uh, you know, has gotten his girlfriend pregnant right before having to go off and fight. And there's one of the major characters, as far as the plot goes, is the, uh, is the squadron leader who's a total asshole and is just a jerk to everybody and is, you know, always punishing them for, you know, just for laughing in the, in, you know, in the trenches, goofing around or, you know, just trying to, you know, hard ass squadron leader guy who is unnecessarily cruel. And you think he's this awful guy, but then when the youngest one of these Marines gets, gets killed, he like feels such remorse, such regret that he sort of sacrifices himself to go across the river and, and find out what the, North Koreans or the Chinese. Actually, that's <laughs> that's another thing that I want to address, and I'm not totally 100% clear on, you know, I probably could have read up on the war a little bit. I know that in, so the, the Korean War went from 1950 to 1953, basically. The U.S. joined at a certain, like the, the North Korean army was was seriously defeating the South Koreans. And then the U.S. Army invaded, you know, landed in Incheon, I think. And and that's when the, the Chinese army said, OK, now we can join the war. But anyway, it's it's all the, the enemy is always referred to as Chinese in in all of these movies, never North Korean. I mean, sometimes we get we find out that like somebody's brother has like done awful things for the other side. But um you know, they're, they're really like, I'm sure if I knew more about this war, I would really know that like, OK, this specific army is Chinese and this specific army is North Korean. But I, I, oh, yeah, go ahead. I Clear this up just, for me. <laughs> no, I think, it you know, it comes down to like, who do you want to say is your enemy The you know, it's kind of like um, what happened in in Ireland in a way. It's like, you know, if they say they're going to say the U, they're going to say the British, the English are our enemy and not so much, you know, their fellow Irish. You know what I mean? I think, I think that's, I, I might be wrong here, 
but that's kind of my understanding. It's just like, you, you know, it's a civil war. You're not going to be like, you know, those, those dang Koreans. No, you're like, you're angry at the, the Chinese. Yeah. And also I mean, there's right. Ra- I mean, it's also racism, <laughs> you know, I, there's always uh, as everywhere in the world, you know, the Koreans hate the Chinese and the Japanese and, and the Chinese hate the Koreans and the Japanese and the Japanese hates all of them. You know, like it, it's, it's sort of typical. That That's how I took it. Yeah. Send me a message. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm I'm very open to that. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it. But it does sort of seem like a. Uh, yeah. It's probably just shorthand. You do see like actual North Korean spies. You know, North Koreans who have done, you know, awful things in villages. But it's you know when they're fighting, when when our the troops on our side are fighting other troops, it's always they always refer to them as the Chinese. But anyway. Um, this squadron leader has like found out that there's some ammo dump uh, across the river that the, the Chinese have, and they're, they're planning this big attack and he dies on his way back. Like he's his, he feels like, you know, he's willing to sacrifice his life because he's so sad about this young one Marine who got, uh, who, who jumped on a, on a, uh, grenade for him and, and saved his life. And so, um, you know, by, by the, the last half of this movie is just the five, our five uh, Marines who are left uh, are, you know, all decide that, uh, you know, for, for the squadron leader and for this young Marine who, who died, they're, they're going to be the ones who go and, and blow up this, this ammo dump and, and save South Korea with their, with their actions, with their small squad. It's a low budget movie. It really shows it's low budget there. There's, it's sort of best when it's just these these guys palling around. The backstories are kind of are kind of typical. There's nothing too interesting about anybody's backstory. It just sort of fills fills out who these people are, so that we care more about their their safety when they're across the river fighting for for their nation. It was all right. It's very it's very typical. I mean, it feels more. Korean in the backstories than it does on the battlefield. I think these these uh, backstories remind me more of you know Japanese family dramas from the era than they do anything that that America was putting out at the time. But uh, yeah, as far as the battlefield stuff goes, it, it doesn't feel all that different than what America was putting out at the time. What, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I mean, I this to me felt more like a raw raw patriotic movie there's definitely some beats of anti-war sentiment but it it really more of that i think more of the discontent happens in their flashbacks than it really does like you know or or the fact that they're on the battlefield when they'd rather be home with their wives or girlfriends and stuff like that which is but that's like typical you know that's like very like gee i wish i was anywhere but here but whenever they're on the battlefield they seem to be dying in glory there was only one death towards the beginning which is this one young guy who's just like you know a perfect little soldier and he dies in a very um undramatic way like he's just dead and there's like a beat of just his dead body and then they continue on everyone who dies after that gets this big song and dance you know like they get a big long i'm going to die but my soul will live on forever kind of a you know funeral angel choir kind of a a death and you know it's all about the glory and the and the uh sort of making up for 
whatever happened in the past they've they've proven themselves on the, on the battlefield kind of stuff and that to me is a lot hokier than what we saw in the previous movie yeah for sure those yeah a lot of those deaths at the end are just totally ridiculous and feel unnecessary and it is just you know them you know feeling this this outrage like they're invincible and they'll take on the whole chinese army themselves and they get killed in the stupidest ways and and it's like yeah there's all this dramatic music what was so effective about the the earlier death about the young marine is that we do get time to deal with his death and we see like little makeshift funeral that they have for him and we see that how upset the squadron leader is about it and we get an actual like mourning period for this young soldier and that feels yeah that's a lot more natural and it's it's i thought that was well handled but you know when you're at the end of your last half or last third of a movie is all this you know combat stuff you don't have time to do that with each of these deaths so you have to you know i guess you just have to go extreme with all the uh glory and 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 music and uh you know explosions and well i just hated the the stupid that squad commander who was a, a jerk i think his name was was uh chong it was just such an asshole and then he gets this big redemptive death sequence as if i meant to <laughs> care and i'm like no this guy sucks like okay fine he did something that was nice or brave and told everyone that the enemy was building up a large ammunition depot and, and they had to, and which is what the second half of the film basically is, is as you said, the five guys going in there to destroy that and, and blow it up before they can use it against them. And the second half of this movie is kind of interesting because the first half is so talky. It mm-hmm. is just chatter, 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 <laughs> flashback, chatter, chatter, some battles, but mostly like guys just kind of like, hanging around and and talking about you know there's this i wrote down one of the quotes i mean this is from the the translation uh the subtitles that we have here but he's like you know one guy is sitting there in the trench like you know thinking about oh her beautiful moon face and cherry lips and porcelain boobs and her meaty butt how could i have left <laughs> left that <laughs> You're like, all right, you know, it's stuff like that. There's like a lot of like weird, like take my wife, please jokes. <laughs> There's a lot of weird horsing around kind of dialogue. But um, and then but then the second half is told pretty much in silence. Like we're we're just watching them carry out this attack on, on enemy territory. And I actually kind of like that part better. I kind of had more fun with that uh, than I did really with these, you know, as you said, kind of generic flashbacks about one person his mom lives in poverty and you know he feels guilty because he was always upset about his life but you know she gave everything for him another one's like about a a city boy who uh actually i think he was a north korean uh defector oh yeah Mm mm-hmm there's another one who, uh, as you said, the, the 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 squad commander, his dad hates him, but he loves his drunk older brother. And that's a big thing that comes back. Uh, I don't know, stuff like that. You know, it's very much like he's the country one. He's the city one. And um, yeah, it's all pretty by the numbers. There's yeah, it's fine. Or one's an orphan and one had a girl that he was in love with that he never told and. It's fine, but um, I, I kind of had more fun when they're actually like going through the, the and carrying out orders and actually, you know, has some tension. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't care for that part, but I, I thought the whole 
the movie itself was sort of interesting just to see a lot of these tropes play out in a Korean film, like having seen so few movies from Korea from this era and then just seeing this sort of typical war movie being made by Koreans was, it had the freshness of it sort of kept me going and, and, uh, that aspect kind of wore wore itself out by the by the end of me watching all these films a bit, but but with this first one, I I had the uh, you know the the novelty of it uh, kind of held my interest, I guess. Yeah, no, it was just fine. It it wasn't. I don't know that I'd rewatch it, but if you're interested, it's worth watching. Yeah. Not my favorite. I probably my least favorite of the Korean war movies that we watched for this episode. But oh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> But the next movie is a movie that I like a lot and was really happy to revisit, which is War Hunt from Directed by Dennis Sanders, and it stars John Saxon and uh, Sidney Pollack. It uh, is Robert Redford's first film, and he was a total nobody. Was he? It, I mean, he's he's the leading role. So was it his first film period, or it was his first leading role? My understanding is that it is his first film period with a hmm. talking part, yeah. but it's a very low budget movie. I guess he's so pretty that. Not surprising that he jumped right into leading roles. Because he was in Tall Story as a as a background actor. This is his first talking leading role. John Saxon, who's in this movie, was kind of a leading man at the time, like sort of a romantic lead, starring opposite you know, Sandra D in, in these goofy romantic movies. And uh so his his role in this is a complete change of pace. He's actually pretty terrifying in this movie. He's great in this. And then also uh, this is a uh, Francis Ford Coppola's in this movie. I think we met, we might've mentioned that in our Francis Ford Coppola um, episode, but he's an extra. <laughs> I, for, I forgot to look for him. I remember you saying that and I forgot to, I forgot to notice him. <laughs> Noel Black, uh, I think is an assistant producer. He's the guy who did pretty poison. Tom Skerritt's in this movie. There's a bunch of, bunch of people. It's a real who's who and a cast and crew here. This was a super low budget movie. It was an indie film. It was a 15 day shoot. And it's a so totally controversial subject matter for a war movie. It's a really weird movie in a great way. I, I kind of love this movie. I found uh, uh, some some quick information. This book, uh, Guts and Glory, The Making of the American Military Image in Film uh, by Lawrence uh, Swede, who or Suid, Suid. Yeah who is a he's like a military expert but anyhow um so he wrote about war hunt and he wrote apparently you know the the director had one 
some awards at film festivals for short films. And so this was kind of his first big feature. And he decided, um, one of the producers actually decided to send the script to the Pentagon (laughs) because they didn't have any money and it was an indie film. They figured, well, maybe they'll send us some tanks or something, (laughs) you know, we're making this war movie. Uh, but, um, you know, and I'm just reading off of the, the book here. It says being realistic. However, Sanders recognized that, which is the producer, Terry Sanders, that the army would probably find the script incompatible with any image it hoped to portray. The army confirmed his belief when it objected to many elements of the script, including the portrayal of an enlisted man as a professional killer. They also objected to the portrayal of, you know, enlisted man as a coward, or when someone calls a sergeant an idiot and they thought it was too gruesome and the army recommended that the producer quote, explore other avenues of approach to a new storyline that would be acceptable. So they pretty much were just like, absolutely not. This is horrible. (laughs) We hate this movie. And that's why I love this movie. So war hunt is about Robert Redford shows up in the, uh, you know, in the middle of the, towards the end of the Korean war as private Loomis and he notices that there's one soldier, this private Endor who is played by um, John Saxon and everyone is always like, leave that guy alone. Like, don't talk to him. Don't look at him. Whatever he wants, just let him have it. And at nighttime, private Endor will just, he like, you know, paints his face black, goes out, uh, you know, dressed in black and goes off. And then he always returns incredibly early in the morning and whenever loomis tries to ask what the heck is happening everyone's like don't worry about it (laughs) don't mess with that guy don't ask don't tell and endor keeps this like little korean orphan boy named charlie around with him who's played by tommy mitsuda loomis you know being not a creep is like you know it's like this like young boy i mean i don't know how old he is like seven or something yeah he knows obviously this this kid is an orphan and you know he kind of wants to engage him like bring him some happiness and you know things like tries to play ball with him or stuff you know like he's a child you know it's like he he just doesn't understand but um you know the endor like does not want him to talk to this child and and it pretty much comes out that that basically that Endor is essentially a serial killer and he comes out at night and but it, because he's working for the army, everybody looks the other way and they just let him go out at night and just murder people. And he brings Charlie with him in order to train him in his image. And that's like the only person that he'll speak to. And as long as uh, he goes out there and he's working for the American cause, then, you know, they don't want to hear about it. They don't care. You know, no, it, it's fine. Like, let him do his thing and uh, we're good. And of course, Loomis is is totally horrified by this, does not think that this is the right way to fight a war. And uh, everything kind of comes to a head at the end when the armistice gets called and Endor does not want to stop going out at night and killing people. Mm-hmm. And I love this movie. It's it's. I mean, for if if nothing else, for the fact that it's a movie that that just straight up calls out, and it's it, it's silly movie. Don't get me wrong. This isn't like 
you know, I, I don't love this for its realism as much, but I, it's a matter of like, here's a film that just actively says like, you know, the, the guys who are really good at war is because they're serial killers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not clear if it's the war that has turned this guy into a serial killer or if, you know, he's, he's finally had his chance to, to uh, engage in this uh, lust for, for, for blood that he's always had. But uh, it, it definitely could be interpreted that uh, that war has turned him into the bloodthirsty killer that he is. And, and I could see why the Pentagon would object to that. And also, yeah, Loomis is uh, is kind of a coward, but it's understandable. He's new. We don't ever really like there's this terrible narration that Robert Redford has for the whole movie. And he keeps asking, you know, existential questions like, why am I here? And 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 we never we never find out why he is he joined the army why he's there but he he shouldn't be he's uh you know he doesn't like war he doesn't like killing he's a a coward you know he sort of moves past his cowardice but in the first attack he like huddles in fear on this little nook in in the trench and and can't get himself to do anything which also is another thing that well as you said the the pentagon objected to the cowardice being portrayed there and he has like a panic attack basically it's not it you know like it's it's a very understandable portrayal of of cowardice it's it's not that he consciously objects to fighting it's that he just freezes and he can't do anything you know everything's happening around him and he, and he doesn't know what to do and and endor ends up being the guy who comes in and grabs his gun and kills a bunch of people for him and kind of saves him in that way but after that happens, you know, Endor is just like thinks he's a total piece of shoe, <laughs> you know, like he's totally uninterested in anything that Loomis has to say. And of course, Loomis is trying to appeal to him, uh, his, appeal to his humanity very specifically. I just really like the lens of thinking about it's, it's very rare that somebody thinks about people on the battlefield the same way that you think about a serial killer. And there is this like obvious there is a divide. One is not necessarily the other, and yet they are both one and the same. And that's what's kind of interesting to me. I mean, I also kind of always wonder about the battlefield opening up a talent, you know, like th this is Endor's talent is going out there at night and killing men with knives. Like he isn't even going out there and shooting people like he's getting up close and personal, slicing guys throats. And, and he has like a whole little like we, we see him. He has like a pattern. He has a ritual. Like he's like really into it. And this is his talent. And once the armistice happens, you almost wonder if it's like, well, now that he, he doesn't want to leave, maybe because this is the only thing he's ever been good at. Or maybe, as you said, this is something he's always enjoyed. And now, you know, he doesn't have to express permission to to indulge in it when he returns to society, which he very much he expresses that he actively does not want to go back to society which is partially why he's training charlie as his you know as his heir so that he has somebody who will be in this world with him who doesn't know any better and even charlie as a little kid is realizing that there's something kind of wrong with this but also is is attached because it's you know is the only uh i guess father figure that he has until loomis comes along but it's it's not enough the uh charlie is just totally attached to this endor who is actually on the 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 side of the army that that killed his parents interestingly 
Right. Um, but yeah, I'm this. I mean, I think that this Endor character is the one thing that makes this movie interesting, more interesting than your average war movie. But it's also an idea that's in every Western you've ever seen. Like these these guys who kill for a living, they're gunslingers. They can't do anything but kill. And to, you know, there's no way they can return to civilization after, you know, they can't settle down with a woman. Like this is their life. They have to, you know, they have to die in, in battle. They have to die by the sword there. They can't, they can't live any other way. So it's, I mean, I guess it's, it's unusual to have, have put this into a war movie. Interestingly, Francis Ford Coppola is in this movie and uh, he he sort of took this idea in, in with Apocalypse Now and uh, you know with Colonel Kurtz and sort of took it to the furthest and made an epic out of that idea of this guy who you know can't stop killing. He's in a war and can't stop killing, even when he's you know is not supposed to anymore. But I didn't think there was quite enough here to make this a a great movie. I, I don't know. I you know it is it's it, it's a slight movie. Um, I mean, there is in a way because the, the, the budget was so low, you really don't get much military anything in this short of just the fact that they're, you know, all wearing uniforms. So you don't see tanks. You don't, you only see like a couple of trucks. Uh, you kind of misses the battle stuff. Like there's that one battle scene, uh, where he punks out and, and that's it in a way it might've been better to have gotten a bit more of that just to set the stage a bit better to sort of in, increase the intensity but the i don't know i'm just so enthralled by the endor character he john saxon is is great in this like i think he really sells it uh he's creepy and calculating and, and really intriguing and you don't really know what his deal is kind of plays that my favorite kind of hollywood crazy person <laughs> Uh, and, a, and a role that I feel like, especially after all that we've watched for Cinema 60, like Kier Delea would have really done great at. <laughs> I think the problem for me is that in the 80s, John Saxon played this character constantly on TV, like in the A-Team and like every Chuck Norris movie. He's just this insane soldier type who's gone to the dark side. And so it didn't. Yeah, I, oh, see, I don't know anything really, about that. <laughs> couldn't see him any other way. So. That's funny. Well, I don't like I, I I just I find this character particularly interesting. And I mean, there's so many interesting beats in this, too. I just it's all stuff that you don't ever see in war movies. And it's also just an interesting way of thinking about it. it, it this movie is totally because it's low budget and because it has it's full of it's full of nobodies in, in a lot of ways or nobodies at the time. But at the time. Yeah. yeah. And and they they could get away with quite a bit that most places even now I feel like couldn't get away with because you still have military involvement. You still have like the Pentagon. I mean, top look at Top Gun. <laughs> I actually thought the the battle you were saying that the uh, the battle seemed cheap. I mean, I thought it they were creatively done. I thought they looked really good. They had, you know, you would see nothing, just darkness out on the, you know, you, they'd peek over the trench and see nothing, but then a flare would go up and then you'd see all these you know, these white uniforms, like these, these soldiers just suddenly appear. It's kind of terrifying. I, I, that's like the, the one like really striking image from this that, that it left me with is that a grenade would go off and you, the light from that, you'd see a bunch of soldiers that you couldn't see before. And I thought for the, for how low the budget was, the battles were pretty creatively done. Well, that's, yeah, but that's, that's what I like about this. 
the stuff that it does focus on is really pretty, um, it, it sticks with you. I mean, even like the beginning where you see Loomis just like arriving and, you know, he has his little voiceover and he's talking about how you, you basically are going through all these fields of poverty, just like people that are struggling, you know, Korean people struggling to survive. You know, you travel through all of this before you get to the front line and it's like, oh, this is what I like. What am I even fighting for? Like what? Like everyone is is suffering right now. You know, is is there any winning here whatsoever? And of course, when they get to the front lines, there's all of these people that that are in prisoners in their camp that are coming up to the, the line and trying to talk to soldiers or trying to sell their bodies. And like, you know, it's just like there's nothing glorious here whatsoever and in you know in the guy who's doing the best the guy who's thriving in this condition is a total psychopath (laughs) so i love that they show whether or not the you know the pentagon was like this would never happen and this is offensive but like but it it probably would quite frankly it's just that everyone kind of looks the other way all the commanding officers say hey he's on our side it's great you know and well, it certainly happened because every Vietnam War movie ever made is oh, you know, every, shows, yeah, shows I mean, look, figure. Look at yeah. every lawsuit that <laughs> comes out of the military, especially, uh, you know, in the last couple of decades. But um, there's a lot here that's that's very unflattering to the entire situation and, and to this to, you know, the, the, the war. And, you know, they're asking the, the sort of questions and, and, and showing things you don't see and. I don't know. I just uh, it's again, this idea of like what happens when your true calling is war to me is a really kind of fascinating thing to explore and to think about. And so there's just enough here that that the first time I watched this, I thought like, huh, I wish this had been a better movie. And then the more I I thought about it, the more I just kept coming back and then rewatching it. I was like, actually, this movie just rules. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of a nifty little independent film that doesn't quite succeed, but it's it's worthwhile and it's it's more interesting in its way than all the young men, which just sort of follows a formula, manages to do some interesting things within that formula, but it's pretty formulaic. There's no real formula to this film, so it definitely has that going for it. But the the budget shows and. Uh, and it's not it, it's a little hokey, you know, it definitely yeah. there there's a lot of Hollywood moments and in, in monologues and things. And yeah, I think there it ends with like the war is over. There'll there'll be another one. And you're like, yeah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next film uh, from the next year, 1963, was The Marines Who Never Returned. Directed by Lee Man-hee, who actually directed the only other Korean film we've done on Cinema 60, A Day Off. And like that film, it's not afraid to get really pretty dark and ugly and sh- and show you the, uh, the seamy side of humanity and how awful people can be to each other. Um, so in, in that respect, it does seem more, uh, more connected to the, uh, 
you know, the revival of, uh, of Korean cinema that happened in the, in the mid nineties to, to the present. It's not, it's definitely not, well, I'm not going to say there's, there's, there are no rah, rah moments, you know, fight, fighting for what's right sort of thing. Like there's, there's plenty of sentimentality and all that, but it's also really brutal. This movie starts with, you know, it's almost a, a uh, saving private Ryan kind of opening where you have this totally brutal beach landing where all all our boys are just getting shot down left and right and you know a bunch of them manage to get through the you know the barrage and get into this town that the chinese or had uh, had taken over actually you know this is the one movie where the north koreans are shown as as the bad guys but not so much like when they're fighting the enemy the second half of this movie is all just battle stuff and they're definitely fighting the Chinese. But in this opening scene, they're taking back this, this village that has been like raped and pillaged by North Koreans. One of the soldiers brothers is responsible for some of this, you know, rape and murder. And it's shocking for, for 1963. It's especially shocking just to see like how awful war is portrayed i i think this the the first 15 minutes of this film is pretty stunning and uh just really hard to watch and you know by the by the time the our 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 marines who have have landed on this beach overtake the the people who are defending this village they you know they get to this one barn where the the enemy has sort of like piled all the dead bodies like all the villagers that they've that they've murdered and uh you know, one of the one of the soldiers like finds his sister there and is a total mess, and it's it's horrific. the 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 beginning of this movie is is absolutely the most horrific thing that we we see in any of these movies that we watched. Um, but then after this scene, they they manage to save this one little girl. So we sort of get the perspective of a civilian through this like one child like young is is her name i think and young Hui, and she's about the same age as charlie in the, in the last movie we watched and uh you know these marines kind of adopt her they're not supposed to they have to sort of hide her uh, and they you know she we sort of get her her narration at that point and and she sort of narrates the rest of the movie talking about her her uncles her you know she calls all these guys who managed to save her her uncles they're there when when her her mother gets shot in the back and they managed to like pull her away from her mother and uh so the this little girl is having to deal with that but at the same time she's sort of grateful that she manages that these men have saved her and then we get a long 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 sequence that's surprisingly goofy where we just get to know all these guys and they're joking around and they all have nicknames and they're all sort of fighting amongst themselves. We get a little bit of drama with two of the soldiers who the soldier whose sister, he, you know, when he finds her body amongst all the, the dead people in the village, the little girl says that it was this one person who, who did it. And it was the brother of this other soldier. So the two of them are, at odds, the, the 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 brother of the the evil guy um, is you know feels really guilty about it, and he says, you know, take my life if you need to. I understand. I I have no control over my brother, but he's he did such an awful thing that I don't blame you for killing me, that sort of thing. But amongst this, like, that's about the as dark as the drama gets. But we've got all this like goofing around, and and these guys are you know just trying to entertain this little girl, and they want to like go out to the the local um, whorehouse and, and uh, 
the squadron leader says, no, we can't right now. We're not allowed in there. Only UN soldiers are allowed in there. But knowing that they're going to have to go out to battle the, the next day, he, he finally says, okay, we're, we can go to the UN whorehouse. And, and uh, so they go to this bar and, and uh, they say, we, we, don't, we don't take Korean soldiers here. And, and uh, they sort of wreck the bar until they say, okay, okay, just stop, stop wrecking the place and we'll, we'll let you have, have some fun with our girls. And so, um, yeah, after this sort of off the battlefield good times, we get into the last half of this movie where, you know, just some pretty straightforward, brutal war stuff. The, uh, the, the little girl's uncles all have to go off to battle. And she says, no, you have to, who's going to take care of me? You can't. And it's sort of one of these hopeless causes things like they, they all kind of have this idea that there's, there's very little hope for them, but they have to sort of you know, fight off this, you know, the Chinese army in this pass so that the squadron that's coming behind them is is free to to move through it so they know that they're sort of sacrificing themselves in this battle. We get a lot of trench warfare and a lot of, uh, you know, horrors of war stuff. And there's a, there's a lot of tragedy, but I actually think the the way that this movie is, you know, shows the brutality of war is really is so horrifying that it, uh, you know, sort of rises above all the others for me and, and feels like somehow more, more significant, more impressive. And then the, the, just the, like the middle part where it's the soldiers teasing each other and, and trying, you know, giving each other nicknames. It, it, it all feels very you know, specific. It doesn't feel like it's following any kind of, here's some, some fun soldiers on leave hijinks. It feels very, I don't know. It has a has a particular flavor to it that doesn't. It felt really new wave. Yeah, it, it it's true. it's like it's like yeah. weirdly it's like this great like slice of life stuff because it isn't like you're saying it isn't just about coming out with this this guy is this caricature and this guy is that caricature. It's more genuine like human bonding and kind of watching these guys actually interact with each other and having a little dance party that ends in a punch out. It it like works like this movie was really great in that way. And even the little orphan girl, you know, this could have been so cheesy and corny. If this had been an American movie, that would have been just the worst aspect of this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it has like this sort of saccharine tone, you know, and she, of course, is the one and everyone has to hold back tears as they lie to her about how, oh, we're going to definitely all come back. Don't worry about it. You know, mm -hmm. so she's definitely she's a, she's a plot device, but it, she works. I mean, like you actually do think that they they do kind of care about her it's like their only outlet for any sort of caring and sweetness because when they're all together they have to either be manly burly men or they have to be killing peoples the whole thing really shows you like a genuinely great portrait of these guys as a unit without getting too specifically individual yeah i mean it does it gets sentimental and a lot of the comedy is really over the top and goofy and it just sort of there's a lot of whiplash in the tone but it does somehow work. And when it goes to those sort of comic or sentimental extremes, it's sort of easy to forgive because you're sort of remembering the brutality at the beginning and you know that this is, you know, heading for a really sort of awful, tragic conclusion. So, well, that, that whiplash, I mean, that's also part of what makes, I think, war movies or, or stories and books and, you know, everything like war in general kind of fascinating is that, you know, there is this sort of tonal whiplash, <laughs> you know, like what, like what else do you do? I mean, like you're stuck in this high stress, 
situation day in and day out. And, and what are you going to do? Be precious about going to have to take a shit in front of everyone. You know, like there's a movie, this is a great scene where the guy has to go, you know, he, he ate something bad. He has to go uh, relieve himself like in the middle of a field and realizes that these two spies for the red army are, are staring at him. And he's like his, but his line in the subtitles was who's sneaking a peek at man's great undertaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like genuinely yeah. funny. And, it, and I mean, it's played with the, you know, it's like a ridiculous beat and, you know, he has to sit there and, and shoot these guys with his pants half down his ankles and, but it, but it works, you know, it's like, again, like this is, that's kind of what war is. It's like, you're, you're, dealing with the most absurd situations with the most ridiculous, with the most depressing, with the most horrifying all at the same time on top of being a a person who is lonely or scared or wants to prove themselves. You know, there's just so much happening in war that is just really, really interesting. And this movie really runs the gamut. I mean, the first half of this is just so relentlessly bleak. I mean, the ending is relentlessly bleak, everything about this but it really grounds itself in that sort of that necessary focus of of the people that make up this war and in the unit and and the humanity behind everything and it it really it doesn't never feels contrived for that yeah i mean i think this movie probably is a pretty good example of what people are talking about with the korean golden age like these you know, this mysterious golden age where we can't really see the movies anymore because they haven't been preserved. They haven't been revived over the years in Korea. But if this is an example of what the great movies in Korea uh, at the time were like, I'd love to see more. I mean, in the in the 50s, when the Americans were, were more in charge, I, I think there was a lot more censorship of the films. Like they were producing a lot of movies, but things didn't really get interesting until the sort of dictatorship took over and i think a lot of the you know a lot more was allowed there's a lot of sex in this movie there's a lot of scatological humor there's a lot of stuff that is a lot more than what you could show in american movies in 1963 and and i think that's part of it i mean that's part of what's exciting about you know all all of the new waves in in the 60s in general was just that they were showing all these things that you couldn't see in american cinema and i think based on this movie and and uh, Lee Manhee's other film that we watched a day off yeah there was definitely something something exciting going on in Korea that we were only we only are allowed to get peeks at and and not much is written about and uh, there's there's definitely a connection to what's happened in Korea in in cinema in the last couple decades uh, that's that's connected to what was happening to this so-called golden age of Korean cinema in the late 50s and 60s but uh i mean it definitely has its propagandistic aspects we are rooting for our soldiers and and every at no point are we do we think oh these these soldiers are not fighting for the right cause their deaths are you know they're all you know die very heroically and each each one of their deaths is a way to to celebrate the Korean soldier and uh, the sacrifices that uh, that they made for for the country's freedom and 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 that sort of thing, but at the same time, it's just doing so much more than that. The you know between the brutality and just the unusual middle section that really feels unlike anything I've ever you know really seen before. Yeah, there's a great. I mean, it's a great gallows humor in this. 
that I think is going to be very relatable to anybody my age and, and under, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's like, there, there's a realness to this that you really don't get in a lot of war movies. I feel like you see it more in literature than you do in, in movies for the most part. But as you said, because of, because of censorship and there's really only one big death with an angelic choir singing <laughs> <laughs> and that's worth something. Yeah. And it's like, at least it's like more, I mean, you know, it's a little cheesy, but it's more justified at least. Yeah. And like the rest of the movies, the, there are a lot of corpses, but they're all kind of beautiful corpses. And, and this movie, like when, when people die, they're just filthy and covered in muck. And it's all like the, the battlefield is strewn with all these like bodies that are blown apart. And it just really shows you the ugliness in a way that none of these other movies do. Yeah, the the opening I like this this movie could have been come and see. Yeah. And then it kind of it pivots it, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's still it's still disturbing. It's still it's still a good great movie. Like highly recommend this one. Yeah, but be prepared for some some tonal whiplash and but if you're ready for that, no, it's a it's definitely a good one. The next movie, unfortunately, <laughs> was uh, I didn't hate it as much as Bart did, but um, it's not as good. And that is The Hook. directed by George Seaton, starring Kirk Douglas at his most Kirk Douglas. <laughs> yes, he's very Dougly in this movie. Um, and Robert Walker Jr. Looks identical to his father in this movie. Yeah, it's also known as Charlie X in Star Trek. <laughs> hmm. Actually, it's he's credited as just Robert Walker, and he looks so much like his father, you know, the guy from Strangers on a Train. That I was like, what? How can... Robert Walker be so wait didn't he die this is six I was really confused until I realized it was Robert Walker Jr. According to TCM I just want to point this out is that the music in this movie was by Harmonica Virtuoso Larry Adler hmm just a good little fact <laughs> Kirk Douglas is in a downturn he hadn't had a hit since Spartacus he was looking for a hit this was not it mm-hmm but he was he was going for it. I didn't um, even look. Did what the, was this not uh, was this not any kind of a hit? It was I mean, not a hit. It was not. It's not well known at all. But yeah, because it's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's it's an interesting movie. It is. It's about three soldiers who are hitching a ride on a a freighter boat. That is, is loaded with gasoline, like like barrels and barrels of gasoline. It's meant to be a neutral boat. It's not an army boat. But they're trying to get across to wherever they're trying to go. I don't even remember. They're headquarters um, in the Philippines. There you go. And, uh, you know, Korean War is on. And right before they get on this boat, there was an enemy plane that came overhead and killed their lieutenant. 
And then they see this plane crash subsequently into the water. Private Dennison, Robert Walker Jr., he he he's the one who should have seen the plane, I think, and he kind of messes up, but he's because he's young and naive, and uh, in the end, he ends up rescuing the the wounded enemy pilot. <laughs> I, they call him a slur throughout this entire thing on purpose because it's again a movie about racism. I'm not going to repeat it. They call him Kim, otherwise, which is also racist. But um, it's played, well, his name is by... actually Kim, but it's they discover that in sort of a racist way. <laughs> yeah, um, he's played by Pancho Magalona, who doesn't look Korean whatsoever. I have to say, I you know most there's I don't think there's a single Korean in any of the American movies except uh, except you know for all the Korean movies for sure. But I don't think they could find a Korean for some reason. Like any Korean actors, apparently. Hmm. Well, not not in major roles. It it was kind of I thought it was strange that uh, that they got a a Filipino actor for the Korean in this film, and the only major Korean role in any of the uh, the American films we've seen. They they got a they got a Filipino, but you know. And all the young men, the entire Korean army that they're battling is like clearly white people. <laughs> yeah, they all have their faces covered so they wouldn't yeah. have to get <laughs> Korean like, people. like, jeez. Anyhow. So they take this guy prisoner and it's the three of them and right before they uh, you know, they take off on the on the boat, they radio into headquarters, which is uh, Sergeant Briscoe, who's Kirk Douglas. He says, we have this enemy, and they tell him, just execute him. Just kill him. Get rid of him. Yeah, their their headquarters had just been bombed, and, like, the the other Koreans there had, you know, went in and killed all the North Korean and Chinese prisoners because they were so upset about this attack that just happened. So when they radio in, they, the, uh, the commander says, no, you can't bring them here. They're just going to kill them, so get rid of them. Yeah, we don't want to deal with them. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being pretty much this almost like a stage play. This I looked it up. This movie was not a stage play, but it, it feels very much like one because we get stuck in this one room on this ship for the vast majority of, of the film. And it is Kirk Douglas, who's Sergeant Briscoe. It's Private Dennison, who's Robert Walker again. And then Private Hackett, who's played by Nick Adams in Magalona as the prisoner. And it's pretty much Kirk Douglas trying to bully everyone else into killing the prisoner. <laughs> like he doesn't sort of doesn't want to do it. Dennison objects to it because he saved his life to begin with. He knows that that that's, he says it's just murder. If you're going to kill a prisoner, that's just murder. That's not anything else. I, and I'm not going to be a murderer. I'm a soldier. You know, again, this sort of interesting line between what, what is murder and what is your duty so yeah, it just becomes kind of the psychological drama with Briscoe trying to muscle everyone into to killing him, and then for just basically bullying reasons. I mean, it's it's just, it's an anti-war movie, like its heart's in the right place. It also has a it makes a point of saying that this could have happened in any war at the beginning. There's a sort of a pre-title screen that says, you know, this. We just happen to have set this in the Korean War, but it could happen anywhere. So it's it's more just a wartime morality play than anything that specifically has to do with the Korean War at all. So it's it's sort of interesting for that reason. The thing I found really sort of funny about this is that it goes out of its way to really preach about racism 
and you know respecting your fellow man as you said it has this dedication in the beginning about this is this movie's dedicated to the individual you know maybe we forget the humanity of you know our enemy and yada yada but it also stereotypes kim as the noble savage (laughs) it's like you know it's like kind of fully buying into the same racism it's preaching against it has a good heart this movie you know it really is about humanizing our enemy and and love thy neighbor but it is just so static it feels like a stage play kirk douglas is is he's good at being a bully always he's he's you know perfect in this for who he's meant to be but um it's just so contrived the whole thing is just feels so stiff i don't blame kirk or any of the actors in this the problem the one basic problem with this movie is there is no drama in it other than this one basic plot where we've got the sergeant trying to bully everybody into killing this prisoner because um, he doesn't want to do it himself. And there's doesn't do anything like nobody else's story is is really like fleshed out in any interesting way. We hear a bit about their backgrounds and and how briscoe is able to sort of you know bully the hackett into into doing what he wants and dennison is a you know is is a new recruit and you know doesn't have much experience so he's trying to teach him the ways of war and that's why he's he's the one who has to has to pull the trigger and kill this prisoner but there's just nothing so little it it could have been like a a decent half hour like well, I was going to say twilight zone but something you know some television drama but it's stretched out endlessly at at 100 minutes or or something and there's just not enough to fill a whole film here and it just i (laughs) i I, it was so hard to sit through just because there's so little there other than this one single idea that's a fine idea but nothing to base a a movie on or you know i don't know how there was an entire novel written about this one idea (laughs) It must be, you know, 80 pages. It must be a novella or something, but. I'm with you. It, it, it's it's too little for too long. And it doesn't have enough. Like, it kind of thinks it's giving you enough about everyone's background to tell you, like, to really care about these characters. But instead, you know, the backgrounds for the characters are as predictable as what the next line that's going to come out of their mouths. <laughs> so you're really not getting anything that you don't already know. It's like. Oh, Kirk Douglas is insecure. Duh. Oh, like, you know, Robert Walker Jr. is perfect Christian saint. Like, duh. You can kind of enjoy it. There's this one line that, that Kirk Douglas has about happy Yom Kippur. <laughs> 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 about like, the dead kid who turns soft just that one time. And of course, that was when, uh, you know, he let his guard down and he got killed. So he'll never let his guard down. And and the ending was fun when we finally get out of the damn room and some stuff happens. I don't, I won't fully spoil it just in case, but, well then, um, but nothing, it doesn't happen. Like something almost happens and then it doesn't. And then another thing almost happens and then it doesn't. And well, there's a final thing that happens. <laughs> there's a final thing that happens, but the, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like pretty much what, you know, it's, it's that they keep, yeah, it, it keeps teasing. Like we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. And and that actually even gets figured into the plot. I mean, they're literally like, you know, dude, what did you expect this guy? (laughs) Thank you. You're trying to murder him every five minutes. And he knows that much. He doesn't speak English and they don't speak Korean and they have a little phrase book and nothing that they're saying seems to come across 
properly. He doesn't seem to get anything that they say. They learn that the armistice has been declared, but you know, then the prisoner escapes and of course they, they keep almost murdering him. I can't like hate it because it's like, it's trying to teach you a, a decent lesson <laughs> in a really crummy way, but you know, it could have been worse in that respect, but uh, yeah, it's just very cheesy. It's very over the top. Yeah. I, I mean, it feels like a play in that there, it, there are a limited number of characters and it could easily be staged on a play very easily. But if it was written for the stage, like there would be some memorable dialogue. It would be written, there would be more to it. You'd get, you know, there'd be something for the actors to sink their teeth into. Some, It's not stagey in, in that respect. Like the dialogue is, is supposed to be sort of realistic, but it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't. The central conceit here is that killing a man out of combat is murder. I just think that like War Hunt takes that one step further and says is it <laughs> like isn't it murder either way and like that's a more interesting conceit than just like we can't kill that guy that's murder like but we're but we just came from killing a bunch of guys <laughs> it just doesn't it, it doesn't have the high ground it thinks it has yeah well the less said about the hook the better so let's move on to our final film from 1964 which um, it's called Red Scarf, directed by Shin Sung-ok. This is such a piece of propaganda. I actually think this is a much worse movie than The Hook and sort of easily the worst movie we watched, except there is so much money spent on like actual war machinery and showing stuff blow up and the the battle scenes are excitingly shot. And there's this one like mountaintop rescue scene that's really impressive so you know it's it's it's, crazy (laughs) this is the korean top gun it is in every single way yeah it is yeah it's as bad as the original top gun but also equally as impressive especially considering it was made in in 1964 but it's such a a bland storyline with unmemorable characters that they sort of force into this love triangle i don't know i'll it's so we've got these new this is about the um the korean air force the south korean air force and we've got these new pilots who have come in to replace you know the old pilots who've either died or have fought enough battles and uh and so we get a you know a bit of a training sequence and the the sergeant is a hard ass uh what's what's his name hog or or <laughs> boar he, i don't know he but he's you know he's got that sort of personality where he's uh 
you know, crude and, and uh, he's got no social graces and, and he's really tough, but you know, underneath all that gruffness, he's a, he's a sweetheart. And uh, so a lot of the, you know, between these like training montages and, uh, you know, these, these battle sequences where these pilots out on patrol notice some like North Korean or Chinese tanks and they go, well, let's, let's go and blow some stuff up. And you actually see like tanks exploding and stuff. So it's, you know, high, high production values. I, I wish they'd spend a bit more on the, like developing a script though. Cause it's, it sort of comes down to bore or whatever his name nah. is. And nah. Okay. We'll say nah. His and name, his, his name is literally not, not Guan Jung. Yeah. Yeah. I, major. He's a major major. I have, yeah, I have his real name, but he's referred to by this nickname and I forgot to write that down. Um, and, and it's, so it's about him and this, um, new pilot, uh, by, you know, it's an impressive pilot, but you don't really know why Na has has sort of taken to this one particular guy. He's he's sort of a hotshot, you know, a maverick type, and and Na dresses him down at one point, but then sort of, you know, he's his drinking buddy all of a sudden, and they go to this bar, and this, um, you know, there's a woman there who's got he Na has some history with Jison, and uh, you know, eventually we find out that uh, that his best friend was who was a pilot was married to her and he got shot down. And so now she's like sad about that and has nothing to do. So she's hanging out this bar at this bar and, and flirting with, with other soldiers and, and nah, doesn't like that at all. So then it um, he sort of arranges that, uh, that by, you know, spend some time with her to like, so that, that she can have a, a new love in her life. And it's, it's absurd and ridiculous and none of it is believable or compelling in any way. But then it goes back to the battle scenes, and there's some super impressive stuff there. So, I don't know. I I have very little to say about this movie except that it's it's total 100% propaganda, and it's beloved. It actually got some attention outside of Korea. I think the only one of these three that did, but it's mainly just because of the the budget and the impressive war footage that it has. There's a bridge attack scene at the end that. It may be like the bridges at Toko Ryu is sort of the same idea. You know, you see it in a lot of a lot of war films where they have to take out this one one bridge and it's there's a lot of death and, and carnage at the at the end as all these movies sort of end with a big battle where lots of people die. And I think it's sort of well liked by people who like war movies because of all this stuff. Like the, the battles are, are cool, but it's a bad, bad movie. <laughs> I I mean, it was amusing to watch. Like, I really, I, this was as amusing as Top Gun is to watch, which isn't a favorite of mine at all. But I mean, you're not bored. <laughs> I was, I was pretty bored. <laughs> really? I, yeah. well, the, you know, this is a great, it's, it's funny to compare this to the Marines who never returned, especially when they are in their like whorehouse bar scenes. And like the comparison of those two, because this is exactly what you don't do, which is come up with really contrived scenarios in which our main character slaps a woman around and then like spends the rest of his life dedicated to like hooking her up with other guys. <laughs> and that's meant to make you think that he's such a good guy. But instead you're like, what do you do? Like, what? <laughs> like, huh? You know, and this woman too, his whole family was murdered and now she's a prostitute. Then she gets married to a guy that gets, you know, is one of these airline pilots who then dies immediately. 
And then, of course, she marries another airline pilot. <laughs> You're like, what is wrong with you, lady? Like, you know, this is this is not going to work out for you at all, ever. And meanwhile, you know, old Na is like totally obsessed with her, but he also won't, won't acknowledge it. And so he keeps like sleeping around with other people. Every time they're in that bar, like everything grinds to a halt. It's just like really really corny stuff and and very much about like the the pros of marriage and also the oh how hard and glorious it is to be married to a pilot and it's just kind of silly it's more the throwaway stuff like the nicknames everyone's nickname i wrote them down sissy pebble nerd laborer (laughs) (laughs) great guys Every every army seems to have uh, the one guy who's called a sissy or a girl. Or, or I know, <laughs> feel bad for him. I also enjoy. There's a lot of singing in this one, so you get all these sort of military songs that they're singing, and and it's also stuff like I, I like wrote down some of the lyrics for this. Lady, don't trust this heart. This youth will pass away like lightning. <laughs> You're like, oh my god, you know, it's like pretty much like don't let your daughters marry uh, us because we're we're going off to kill ourselves like peace out. you were you're comparing the barroom scenes in this to the ones in uh the marines who never returned and it's amazing how cheap these look for a movie that has a far bigger budget than than the marines who never returned red scarf is incredibly cheap looking in all of these scenes that are not you know, on the battlefield. Or well, in we know where the or... budget went. <laughs> well, yeah, but they could have, they could have used some of that budget, you know, to make a, a bar that didn't look like just some studio space that they, you know, put a couple tables in and a, and a, you know, a single bar with a couple of bottles of liquor behind it. There's only, yeah, it knows that there's only one reason that people would want to come to a movie like this. And, but they also knew that they had to fill out the rest of the like hour and a half of the film with something else. And the, that, <laughs> that tacked on hour and a half of love triangle stuff is terrible. And they clearly don't care about any of it. Yeah. The military stuff is really where, where this movie shines. And I, I kind of like there's, there's, uh, it starts a bit stronger and it definitely loses itself. And with all the, I think it's G sound is her name. It loses itself with her, but um, there's a good scene in the beginning, and I forget who it is. It might be, I think, Dosun, who dies. <laughs> he's a he's and they're all new recruits. They have to earn their red scarf. That's that's you know the the title here is that you know this is like the the fighting tigers or whatever. You know this is this is the group of aviators there's a there's a good scene where he kind of steps out of line he steps out of formation when they're flying and once they land you know major na comes up to him and like slaps him in the face <laughs> and he's like is your life cheap or is it worthless there's only a few dozen of us you know you can't step out of line if we go down you took how many hours and months and years of training to get to this point and you're gonna go what kill yourself by doing something stupid just to show off or to get one extra to bomb one extra thing. And, you know, it's a good point. You're like, yeah, okay, I get it. It comes together on, on that level, you know, again, on that top gun level of like hyping you up for, I don't know, like the, the sort of that, that feeling of heroism and, and being part of a a well-oiled machine. And, you know, it's like that, that kind of stuff. 
it's all the glory of it. And, and then, you know, when, when somebody dies, it's tragic, but it's, but it's beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, they, <laughs> they deserve it, but really you're here just to watch them like smash a bunch of tanks with napalm, which looks great. Like a lot of the air footage I thought was a little bit boring when there's just like the basic cockpit stuff. When they're flying in formation, it's pretty cool looking, I guess. That's I mean, fun. There's a great 60s tastic Christmas party scene, actually. <laughs> That was pretty great. Uh, that's probably the only good bar scene. And then that final rescue mission is absolutely insane. And I would like fully recommend. I'm not even I don't even want to talk about what happens because it's absolutely <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it's insane. Like, I don't even know how they did that kind of crazy. And it's actually worth you watching this movie because it is like some Tom Cruise level insanity. But it also is probably exactly how you rescue a down and it pilot freaking rules <laughs> <laughs> that's where i'm just like hell yeah like <laughs> it's awesome it's super cool you gotta watch it should or, i just say what don't. it is now if you he, if you look dude he they tie <laughs> a wire between two poles and they tie the dude to the wire and then a plane comes down with a hook <laughs> and has to grab the wire in order to pull this dude through the air at the speed of sound. <laughs> it's absolutely, it is some crazy ass Tom Cruise shit and it rules and it's so worth it. It's like, and I really was like, this movie had lost me by this point and it totally won me over because <laughs> it's just psychotic. Yeah. So watch, watch this wonderful movie. <laughs> it definitely got a full half star better rating from me because of that one moment that's super impressive but that and yeah. i have to, and there's a scene and this i won't totally spoil but there's a scene in the end where somebody's mom shows up oh god <laughs> everybody's crying and she looks around and she goes what is he dead <laughs> <laughs> great movie yeah yeah, so at that point, they basically stopped making movies about the Korean War. They peaked. This was it. Literally. There were other movies, like Manchurian Candidate came out the same year, and that has sort of a background in like brainwashing during the Korean War. And, you know, it's not like it would never get mentioned, but there weren't any other combat films about the Korean War basically after this until MASH in 1970, which was really just a metaphor for the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was happening, so setting this this movie about med unit and the Korean War, making that movie in 1970 is very clearly about the Vietnam War. So, you know, this this was the end. This after this the the forgotten war became forgotten. Are you a mash guy? You like that movie? I like I like moments. There's too much football in it. I'm a big Robert Altman fan and it's not tops for me, but I like things about it a lot kind of hated it and i liked the series actually kind of loved it as a kid see now i've watched a bit of the tv series but not enough and i i liked i definitely like that better than the movie the movie i just can't i can't get over the stuff with hot lips it's just so creepy and so awful and it just makes me hate the, everyone in that movie yeah i just it really creeps me out does turn into frat boy sex comedy sort of stuff it, yeah, yeah it's so awful but richard hooker that's a he's a he turned into a main guy right yeah Bowden grad 
there you go. So yeah, I don't know what do we what do we take away from this other than now we've covered some war films for the first time on this show. We covered some war films and and funny enough and not maybe not almost predictably all of the American ones that that we knew of we chose were all anti-war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to of. some degree, at least there were there were not rosy uh movies about the war and the Korean ones similarly except for Red Scarf Earl had, you know, they had something to say. It wasn't terribly rah-rah. And I mean, really, if you look at most of these war movies, uh, what makes them the best war movies are are about the the messed up side of war and you know, whether or not they want to go as far as to say that this is it's pointless, which most of them will not, there's still something there. There's still there's still like I don't know. Do you feel like you you uh got something out of these war movies that you haven't before or no it sort of confirmed what i feel about (laughs) war films that it's hard to say what actually distinguishes an anti-war film from a pro-war film because they're both like to show the horrors like it's it's all about the horror of war whether you're for or against it i think what makes something an anti-war film as it's kind of showing you that these sacrifices are worthless and that the you know that there's no glory in this whatsoever and i think all of these movies do ha- show a certain amount of glory to it like the i guess not the hook at all i don't know i mean it's i think it, it depends on what you're bringing to the film uh, really more than anything you know none of these shy away from the ugliness of war and the and the tragedies that are involved in it but they all are saying, you know, these soldiers are fighting for a good cause, and they're and we need to support them, and they're they're our, they're our boys, and they're they're saving us all. I don't know. I think that there it, it really comes down to it's it's not so much whether the character believes that they died for a good cause, but whether you as the audience member believes it was worth it. And you know, when when people die on screen, and it's surrounded by you know the the choir and and a bunch of tears it's pretty clear the filmmaker is telling you that this is a tragedy but it was worth it usually if they're going to sit there and make such a big deal out of it whereas i think when you get a, a character that was cared about who then dies and all we see is them they're like twisted dead body and with like no music and this sort of stark betrayal there's nothing glorious about that and there's nothing brave about that and whether or not you, you know, the characters think that it was brave, it, it kind of becomes clear of how, you know, it was shot that the director thinks it's at least ambiguous. So then you can bring, you know, your, your own interpretation from there. But I think that to even leave room for that kind of interpretation is, is it's always a little more interesting than, than just straight up cut and dry support our troops kind of stuff. It's funny. I mean, I, I find um, I find <laughs> my fascination with war is really about just how strangely pointless it all is. I'm, I'm certainly not pro pro military uh, in on whole. You know what I mean? I'm not like pro war <laughs> pretty much ever again. I, I find it to be such a fascinating part of humanity that we just we know we, we can't get away from. Yeah. I mean, for me, it pretty much boils down to seeing that much death on screen is always upsetting but if it has a very clear 
anti-war message and I'm not trying to, you know, nobody's trying to get me excited about these, you know, these brave guys who are risking their lives, you know, this good versus evil sort of thing. It just seems. What would you, what's a good anti-war movie for you? Paths of Glory or uh, Dr. Strangelove is even better because I don't have to see any, any battlefield footage, but yeah, it's trying to get me excited when it's, when war film is trying to like get me pumped up at, at this, you know, the, the death defying uh, feats of, of these soldiers. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, is it, do I really need to, I don't know. I feel manipulated and it's, it's just unpleasant. But at the same time, I love like Westerns where it's all good versus evil. And it's, you know, some guy has to shoot down another guy to protect the town and, I can appreciate violence in film, but when it's on the on the scale of a of a, a battle and a war, it just I, I find that amount of death just too upsetting, too too disturbing to be able to think about anything else that the movie is trying to do. I guess. Well, Peace Nick Delora, they call him. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sissy girl Delora. <laughs> I realize I'm a hypocrite, but it you know it's just a, a visceral reaction to. No, I, I feel death. you. I mean, like, I get it. I just, I guess, I just like watching human suffering. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the indoor in me. You've been listening to Cinema 60 with Bart DeLauro and Jenna Ipcar. The theme song is Io la conosceva bene by Piero Piccioni. The closing theme is Go Go Gorilla by The Ideals. Check out cinema60.com for new episodes and supplemental material. That's cinema60.com. And follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Cinema 60 Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.